How do I act so well? What I do is I pretend to be the person I'm portraying in the film or play. Yeah. You're confused. No. It's perfectly simple. A case in point. Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson comes from New Zealand, says to me, Sir Ian, I want you to be Gandalf the wizard. And I say to him, you are aware that I am not really a wizard. And he said, yes, I am aware of that. What I want you to do is to use your acting skills to portray the wizard for the duration of the film. So I said, okay. And then I said to myself, hmm, how would I do that? And this is what I did. I imagined what it would be like to be a wizard, and then I pretended and acted in that way on the day. Yeah. And how did I know what to say? The words were written down for me in a script. How did I know where to stand? People told me. If we were to draw a graph of my process, of my method, something like this, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, action. Wizard, you shall not pass! Cut! Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. Okay. You see? Yeah. So, now, you would be pretending to be John in this play, and how would you know what to say? Well, the words would be in the script. Yeah. And you would learn the words. You would not have the script on the night. And that goes for everybody. There will be no scripts on the night. You'll learn the words. Yeah. No, I'll speak think... them as if you were saying them for the first time. I didn't think you would have the, the script. No, on you the won't. Night. No. I... Because if you did have the script, it would break the illusion, and the whole thing is illusion. Do you see? You are not really John. No, I know. You are pretending, and that is acting. mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. I am one of your hosts, Michael Shields. I am alone today, um, well, for this intro at least. Uh, and suffice to say, much has changed since uh, we last convened. These are um, scary and uncertain times, no doubt. And frankly, I don't know what to make of it all. And 
And um, we had um, welcome to the party, pal. We hope you are all safe, huddled up with your loved ones or your favorite television shows and movies and ready to um, weather what storm may come. At this point, uh, we, we aren't exactly sure um, how, to, how to use this platform to help in this dire time. But at a minimum, we hope that we can provide um, a nice distraction from time to time. We will be pumping out the episodes and talking film and television as always, hopefully giving you ideas about movies and shows to get lost in. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter for recommendations or just to talk or kind of uh, share ideas about the films. Our handle at Twitter is at to the party pal. That is at to the party pal. Hit us up. Oh, yeah, we are also on Instagram too, and that's um, party underscore pal underscore podcast. Party underscore pal podcast. Uh, reach out. Let's talk film. Let's talk movies. Let's share ideas. Um, we uh we're, we're we're here for all that today. As we move forward, we got we got a fun episode for you. One that pays tribute to an incredible actor, a thespian, who has been gifting us with brilliant performances on screen and on stage for decades now. The one and only Sir Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen is a legend of stage and cinema. He has incredibly starred in over four hundred plays and films, and he is that rare character actor that awes in each and every role. He is a celebrity whose distinguished political and social service has transcended his international fame to reach beyond the stage and screen. The breadth of his career, professionally, personally, and political, has been truly staggering. Sci-fi and fantasy nerds like myself know him as Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings and Magneto from the X-Men films. Theater lovers know of his roles as Macbeth, King Lear, and as Estragon in Waiting for Godot. From his West End acting debut in 1964... In Ascent of Flowers, to the day he took Broadway by storm, starring in Amadeus, to his many turns on screen, McKellen is an international treasure and icon, and it is because of that we pause to pay tribute to such an acclaimed star. To celebrate Ian McKellen properly, I had a, I had a conversation with author Gary O'Connor, who recently penned Ian McKellen, a biography. Gary O'Connor is a biographer and novelist noted for his publications on theatrical and literary figures. He has written acclaimed biographies of Laurence Olivier, Ralph Richardson, Paul Schofield, Peggy Ashcroft, and Alec Guinness. His book probes the heart of Ian McKellen, recreating his greatest stage roles and exploring his personal life. In his biography, he shows what makes the great actor tick, and uh, what, what me and Gary discuss is uh, his personal relationship with Ian. As you know, he's known him for some time. Um, his work, Ian's work on the stage, and some of his more memorable roles, we talk about uh, what motivates Ian in his work and in his life, um, his activism, and so much more. So um, before we get going, just a quick reminder that Welcome to the Party Pal is part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com to check out their eclectic offering of podcasts they have. They're cranking it out as usual, um, so... If you're in need of podcasts and who isn't at this time, they have it. So I got a, I got a fun fact I want to share before we get into it. Because, um, you know, I did a lot of research on Ian uh, before and after I read Gary's book, his biography of uh, Ian McKellen. And one of the fun facts I thought was uh, very amusing was that Ian McKellen's great-great-grandfather helped invent the weekend. Yeah, that's right. You heard that. Uh, the weekend, like the Saturday, Sunday weekend. Um 
So his his great great grandfather was named Robert Lowell's, and he campaigned for uh, Manchester, England's business owners to take a half day on Saturday, and uh, that kind of steamrolled in to the five day work week that we all know. So uh, so in some ways we 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 owe our weekend fun and all that to uh, Ian's lineage there. So. Um, Let's just get into it here. I think I think you'll find this um, interview fascinating. I did it via phone um, uh, across the pond, and um, I learned a lot about Ian McKellen, and so will you in this interview with Gary O'Connor. Just to commence, um, I have to ask, what uh, was it that compelled you to, you know, tell the story of Sir Ian McKellen? Well, I've done a number of theatrical biographies, Alec Guinness and Paul Schofield and Lawrence Vivian, Vivian Lee, and somehow uh, Ian McKellen seemed to me the kind of last in that line, as you might say, of, of um, great 20th century mm. English actors, um, who had been up to Cambridge, like, um, you know, directors of the National Theatre, Peter Hall, um, and uh, Richard Eyre. And I, I somehow, he, he sort of completes a, a cycle of, of actors for me. Um, I mean, this is just, you know, quite apart from the fact that he is an amazingly interesting um, enigmatic, mysterious, um, good subject, good biographical subject uh, to, to undertake. So the temptation, of course, is that, you know, there wasn't so much known about him. It's quite hard to get close to, to penetrate the, the mystery, as you might say. And um, uh, in a sense, I felt this kind of presumption of my endeavor was to try and pluck out the heart of the Ian McKellen mystery. And how... I mean, he is an extraordinary phenomenon, how such a single being could create such a monumental career of such depth and span, um, and where the ever-changing source of his energy came from, because it comes from, or still comes from, in fact. Uh, his personality and character have continued to develop and change throughout his life. All in all, um, I wanted to make you know, this investigation sound him from the lowest note to the top top of his capacity and ability to to be a great actor um, and show many sides, secrets, the different sides of his personality. Absolutely. He is, he is, he is uh, a very complex figure. And uh, you did, you have a personal relationship to Ian, though, as well. well uh, yes, yes. I mean, I had sounds like going back a long way. I did happen to have the good fortune to go to Cambridge at the same time yeah. as he did and also to be involved in the same university acting um, groups and societies and Cambridge was a great source of, the, of talent for the English theatre and we, at Cambridge we were all amateurs but, but we did nothing but plays, there was no drama um, formal degree or anything like mm -hmm. that uh, but, but they, out of our choice and out of the, the extraordinary mentors who were there uh, two Johns called John Barton and George Ryland mm -hmm. of King's College Cambridge who ran the these theatres as, as um, older members of the, of the university, this extraordinary talent, um, sort of fostering of talent grew, which became, well, as I call it in the book, a mafia. It spread into all 
sides of of um, television, film, theatre, particularly theatre, directing uh, all the way through uh, the century. Peter Cook, for instance, is mm-hmm. famous um, satirist, was 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 a member there. Also, David Frost, um, Derek Jacobi, a lot of actors. Not many of, of, of my contemporaries became professional directors or actors, mm-hmm. and um, so I was I was very fortunate to be there, but also to be directing. Um, McKellen in some of the plays that he appeared in at Cambridge and having very good memory of those, obviously I could report them from first hand um, and bring them to life. Yeah, it's wonderful. There is an insider uh, viewpoint on that thing. But from the opening of the book, in its com- um, commencement there, it appears that uh, Sir Ian was a little reluctant to uh, tell his story. I know, well, yes. he's, I know he struggled with his memoirs <laughs> a bit. What was that like? Well, that was that was... Okay, in a sense, I was very much expecting that because okay. um, I mean the book started Modesty. 2005, six. When I went to ask him, saying, in a sense, I think um, he he was reluctant to um, talk about his own the privacy of his own background mm-hmm. and his family and so on to someone outside. He did, in fact, he was approached by um, you know former publishers here, Hachette, to. Um, uh, write an autobiography and he kind of dallied with the idea took an advance but then paid it back saying he, you know, it would be um, too painful to go over his past and so and he's kept this very, bad, very big website um, putting photographs out and recording his triumphs and, and um, descriptions of, of the parts he's played and so on but somehow it, there was this gap really because he hadn't you know he hadn't been thoroughly um, not investigated is perhaps too strong a word but to, to, um, kind of probed or, or uh, got inside of to find out what made him tick what, what his feelings were what his thoughts were and parts and um, the, obviously the relationship between his own very private personality and character and the parts he was playing and how one um, informed the other yeah Absolutely. You touched a bit on, you know, some of the painful things that he would come upon as, as he was telling his life story. Um, I think it's safe to say that, you know, some of the, the pain that he dealt with um, in his childhood uh, shaped him some, the, the human and the thespian that, um, that he became eventually. It certainly did. I mean, he was brought up by a very sort of nonconformist Christian family, mm-hmm. And he, and, and he obviously felt enormous shame to discover very, very early on that he was gay and um, kept that a very much a, a secret and couldn't, felt, um, you know, it was going to harm him in a way. And, and that, so he found his escape through acting from a very early age, you might say, and disappearing into roles. Um, putting on one mask after another, particularly after this came. Now, in a sense, it was quite sort of paradoxical because Cambridge um, in those days was a very, very free, liberated Mm -hmm. society. Anybody, Mm -hmm. nobody minded gays. It was was completely accepted in the theatre and um, there was no kind of shame or humiliation or or fear or thing, although it was still illegal in in the British legal system to be homosexual. Um, and the, I think that Ian felt this very much more strongly than than, uh, than most uh, people who were there uh, for various reasons, which I go into. Um, 
and he carried this forward, kind of escaping into role after role and always not quite sure whether he should come out or not until, you know, it, it, it quite way on in his life at the age of four, nearly 50, he, he came out publicly on, on English radio um, mm-hmm. in a talk program and, um, and then felt enormously liberated and free and able to declare himself and act as a... As a, as a as, as, as a what's the word a defender of, of, of gay rights and um, which he did very um, courageously and um, very honestly and very objectively I think yeah you speak to this uh, escapism that he found in acting and I think your book does a good job of uh, probing or exploring the idea of um, you know what did kind of make him tick in uh I know you kind of invoke the uh, question in the book that Sam Mendes asked, you know, why, why, why do you do it for? And I was wondering, I mean, his body of work is so uh, expansive at this point. And, you know, what, what did um, inspire him and compel him and, and drive, you know, what, what, what could you say is behind well, this drive? This tremendous ambition, um, yeah. which never stopped, basically, and also the fact that he never really formed long-term relationships mm-hmm. with um, other men which have lasted. And he, in a sense, the, what really happened, I think, in his life is that theatre became an alternative to, to his family. He lost his mother at an early age to which he, you know, he, was, he was close to her. Mm-hmm. They lost his father in a car accident, and that, but they'd never had a good um, open um, informal relationship so he couldn't declare anything about himself and and the theatre had, had supplied to begin with whatever everything he needed to fulfil himself in his career but then it became his family if you see what I mean yeah. so it, it, and, and as such it has remained and he's you know wonderfully supportive of other actors very generous mm-hmm. um, charities and um very connected and has enormous friends but essentially the theatre which is why he loves being in very long running plays and one man shows Mm -hmm. and keeping things going and going always from one thing to the next the theatre is entirely and totally became his life and um, as I can't I can't compare him to anybody else that I know similar in this particular way I think he's he is so dominated um the theatre, the English theatre, English-speaking theatre, certainly, and of course now, l- later on in life, the film world with his his Gandalf, his Lord of the Rings, and X Men, um, in this particular way. So he's become this extraordinary acting phenomenon, really. Is is you know trans- goes across con- countries and continents, and he very much now obviously identifies with with the world of Gandalf, which has made him. Uh, universally famous, um, and, and uh, when he takes you know friends out to supper, he'll stand up at the end and say, "Gandalf pays." Not at all like Alec Guinness, who who hated being identified with Obi Wan. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's great. I love that anecdote, and there's there's many many um, fun anecdotes, and and 
inside stories in this book. Um, you mentioned this this family, and I find it so beautiful that he did find uh, family in you know his fellow thespians and and you know on both yes, in, in yes. screen. But um, <laughs> um, but you were part of that family as well, and um, I mean you you directed him early on. How was it working with him? Well, he was very. I mean, at that particular time, we, we were very young. You know, he yeah. was very shy. And, yeah. Um, and very responsive. I can remember him, sort of. Um, you know, his thoughtfulness. He was quite. He was quite withdrawn in a way, and okay. um, very uh, thoughtful. He's always been very thoughtful. And at one point, he was sort of becoming a journalist. He always, um, what's the word, responds extraordinarily well to to being interviewed thoughtfully and listening to questions and uh, he would have obviously made a very good um, journalist had he ever decided to Good go in that direction mm -hmm. but yes he, he um, I mean he, uh, at that particular time obviously as he became as he became more confident he became much more his own master and able to master even directors like Richard Eyre and not, I mean, without being dictatorial, but still very much his own man and his own feeling. Um, not exactly a one-man show, or that he was, um, you know, like the sort of 20th century Donald Wolfett, um famous barnstorming actors, but certainly someone of, of, of a towering presence who really was in charge of the particular play he was in. So he was obviously playing always the leading roles, basically, mm -hmm. and he's mm -hmm. completely and utterly a leading role actor. Yeah. Um, to, to touch on just a couple of his roles, um, I know, you know, while he had a thriving uh, theatrical career at this point, it was in 1980 where he kind of took Broadway by storm with Amadeus. What did, um, what did that role yeah. mean to uh, his career and to him? Well, I think he was very fortunate that... Um, Paul Schofield, who played it in London, yeah. and was the original Amadeus, uh, original Salieri, um, <clears throat> didn't want to tour America because he um, spent a year touring America earlier in his career and, and, and didn't want to be sort of fated in that. Uh, he was a very shy, withdrawing, reticent actor, Schofield, brilliant actor. Um, and, and so Ian was able to step into the role and... Um, Schaffer rewrote it to some extent for and made him more um, ostensibly and completely evil and manipulative uh, as opposed to he was previously. And it was a perfect fit for, for McKellen to, to, to take over. Um, so he, you know, he enchanted, well, enchanted is not quite the right word, with this awful character that, that um, Schaffer had created of Salieri. And um, I think... He was very disappointed, in fact, that he, he didn't actually subsequently make the, oh. the film, which oh, won yeah. the Oscar, um, yeah. as far as I remember. Gary, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I would do crazy things to uh, have the opportunity to witness um, that role of his. It just sounds so extraordinary. Um, we touched on yeah. Gandalf a little. Oh, go on, please. He was, he was the incarnation of evil. He was. I mean, he's got, he did do great lying in evil parts all the way through. Um, you know, Richard III, uh, yeah. uh, Salieri. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I personally think the role that I go into great lengths in, in the book about is Iago. Yep. And Iago is, now not, is not really considered one of the great 
Shakespearean roles like, you know, King Lear or Hamlet or something. Mm-hmm. Actually, it is one of the greatest Shakespearean roles. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this was McKellen's supreme ability to show the many sides of, of, of his kind of acting, his evil, his impersonation, his false his falsehood, his false identity. I mean, it's just the way he played with everything and the way he represented that on stage. Unfortunately, that was never filmed, but um, I've tried to kind of bring him to life in the book and give a, yeah. a feeling or description of how he was behaving as Iago in this, in this production by Trevor Nunn of, of, of Othello. Mm. And, um, you know, even in this late, late film, The Good Liar, he's kind of playing an Iago-like character, convincing someone that he's good and perfect and, you know, reasonable and honest and so on, and then leading and manipulating them into into um, what he wants from them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he's... Um, but again, with a wonderful range and contradiction, of course, mm-hmm. he now has emerged, or he did emerge when he was now six years old, as a great good Gandalf, you know, the incarnation of of, of, of um, wisdom and, and uh, fortitude, courage, and goodness. So he's got, he's had both sides really wonderfully displayed in his career. Yeah, I love uh, the parallels you draw between um, Ian's life and uh, Tolkien's life, and you know, it, yeah. it, you can well, re- go on. It, it, that, it, that, that was very very fascinating, and uh, I also yeah, that only just occurred to me when I was doing it, that uh-huh. there was this contradiction, you know, that here was this very um, God-loving Roman Catholic, um, to you might say to the right of a traditionalist, who was a professor of medieval mm-hmm. um, literature at Oxford, who created Gandalf, who was in a way almost the opposite of all that Ian had, you might say, Ian stood for in lots of other ways in his life, and yet somehow the goodness of um, Gandalf comes through, well, both in Tolkien's um, a depiction of him mm-hmm. and in Ian's playing of him. It couldn't have been a, a better fit, really. Um, and the extraordinary thing, again, with all the paradoxes, which I think is also a fascinating aspect of his life, um, that, that, you know, he wasn't first casting by any means. Sean Connery, Christopher Plummer, mm-hmm. there were, you know, several others who were offered the role and uh, Sean Connery couldn't understand what it was about because Summer didn't want to go to New Zealand for a year or something. I mean, yeah. and, and so somehow the, the part fell into his lap and yet he was the perfect person there all the time to do it. And there couldn't really be someone you could imagine being a better Gandalf. You know, it's, it's not a role that you can imagine someone else taking over. And Absolutely not. He is, he so he is Gandalf. Is it is it uh, is it true that he had not read uh, the the books before he signed on for it? Well, that's that's what he said. Yeah, I don't think he did. No, I think he <laughs> obviously read the script. That's wild. Um, and the script is very sure. close to the to the you know it's virtually word for word dialogue. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, basically. So it, it, he must have read the script, but I don't think he. I mean, whether that was just he didn't want to get too involved, like. In a, in a way, I can understand how if you're creating a role from a script, you don't want to kind of get too involved and, yeah. you know, soul, soul searching and mm-hmm. seeking explanations and so on by reading the play, the actual original and then 
comparing scriptures. I mean, it's a, I, I fully sympathise with that. But he, he did he did say he must have read it since I think, and he certainly, in the end, has made it part of his one man show. He didn't at the time, mm-hmm. um, and and you know you might have said well um, there was kind of slightly overlooked the Tolkien um, see what, 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 what he got from Tolkien, but. It doesn't, in the end, emerge as much at all. No. Yeah, I think it's beautiful too that he um, he really embraced the role and what it did for him. As as you can tell from that um, Gandalf pays uh, story that you told, it's you know it's definitely the one that really catapulted him into uh, this other stratosphere that he exists in. Yes, yes, and of course, his you know I mean you mustn't underestimate the, the extraordinary power of his faith, basically, yeah. which is what. Um, you know, it obviously had taken him 60 years of life to get that kind of face, yep. which showed all those different shades and colors and, yeah. you know, suggestions and implications and um, sort of uh, little hints of things unspoken. And the camera could pick that up in under Peter Jackson's superb direction, yep. you know. And, and, and that's something, well, you can't, that's a mystery, isn't it? It's one of the mysteries of life. You can't, you can't sort of predict it, or you can't um, prescribe it, or make sure it's going to happen. It just does happen, and that, that's what happened as well. Yeah. So uh, it went on to be six films after. Yep. Yeah, the Hobbit, Hobbit films as well. Um, I know I'm not alone in being uh, enamored by his uh, friendship with Patrick Stewart. Um, those two have a have a special bond. What, what can you say about um, their friendship? Well, it came quite late, actually. Yeah, I think after X-Men. Really, his, as, 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 as comes out in the book, his, in a way, his long-term connection with another actor is much more with Derek Jacobi, who yeah. was Cambridge with, and whom at the time he was in love with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they keep repeating that in the, in the press and prints about yeah. how this was his Cambridge infatuation, because Derek Jacobi was the great sort of Cambridge star in that day, and Derek was an extraordinarily well formed and mature actor at a very early age. Um, and actually, Derek's very well known in, in America too, isn't he, from, from um, all the roles in various Café and mm-hmm. um, I, Claudius and so on, yep. uh, films that he's made. Patrick Stewart is late, and I think they missed out, but Patrick Stewart's always been a, um, an RSC actor in the same kind of Royal Shakespeare Company actor in the same kind of background of, uh, as Ian. So... There's a natural affinity when they were both chosen to be or asked to be an X-Men by Brian Singer because, you know, the sort of authority con- uh, conveyed by elderly English knights sort of to uh, a script which may not necessarily have been as, as what's the word, um, uh, authentic, not authentic, but... but um, Superior is the wrong word. Yeah, high, high, highbrow of some um, kind, yeah. Dignified. Dignified, dignified yeah. Yes. Yep. Distinguished. That's yeah. the word I'm trying <laughs> That's to. the one, yep. Distinguished. The elderly English actor, 60, distinguished, and obviously Stuart had a, um, a big track record from uh, Trek, uh, what is this, Star Trek. The Next Generation. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, they, they obviously hit it off, and all the scenes in X-Men between them are the best scenes in the... Oh, yeah. in the, in the in the series, and they command attention in a completely different way. So they obviously were together a lot in their friendship thing, and they, in a sense, they 
mimicked one another and they took each other off and they, you know, went on jaunts together in, in New York and played around for the press and mm -hmm. they became a sort of, uh, what's the word, bromance. Yeah. You know, a, yeah. it wasn't a sort of love affair, but it was a bromance. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Stuart was married or was to marry and um, Ian became his, one of his... Um, Sponsors, or in fact, the person who married him. He married them, yeah. So people, they played with this kind of ambiguity of book fun, you know, romance, bromance, or whatever it is. And uh, and then they came together to play these late roles in Waiting for Godot and, and the, um, the Harold Pinter, uh, her, um, what's it called? No Man's Land. No Man's Land, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they were sorry. doing, though, they were, going, they were going back and forth on those. They were doing um, um, both at the same time. Yeah, they're doing Godot and Leman Brand in, in, in New York. Yeah, 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 it was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So basically they, be, they became a sort of um, feature and they were on chat shows together and they were playing off, you know, innuendo, lots of jokes, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. um, banter and so on. And Ian is superb, again, um, on chat shows, as you probably know. Oh, yeah, from he's fantastic. So I mean, he just takes everything over. Yeah. Extraordinary kind of, um, you know, and he's almost saying, you know, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am. I'm taking I'm, but, but it's not, it's not sort of, it's not annoying. It's just somehow it's, embracing. And it's super warm, endearing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, you've known Ian for a while, and, and um, you know, I'm sure there was lots of research. Was there anything that you came upon when you were writing this book that really surprised you about, about his life or about his career? Um, yeah, I think that, um, I mean, the, I didn't know the other stuff about his father and his conscientious subjection during the war. Yeah. The, the, the family had a sort of secret. I thought that was quite interesting. And I didn't really relate to the family at all. I mean, because he was a very private person mm -hmm. all the way through and valued his privacy. And so sticking out interviews and finding things he'd said and so on. And also relating to, the, he became a little bit more open about these things as he grew older. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think what really surprised me is, is to know in no other way. I mean, apart from his humour and the anecdotes and all the you know things that were, were unusual about him, was the, his extraordinary um, persistency of turning round something that he'd started off and wasn't doing very well at in playing a role such as Hamlet or, mm -hmm. or, Ju or Romeo and, and, and indeed Richard III, this extraordinary single-mindedness of actually then going on for even up to a year or two and touring with it in such a way that he kind of turned the whole thing round and then, you know, from bad reviews, and he did this also with Lear, his first Lear that he did um, touring around the world, um, of, of actually getting the very best out of it so that, and, and also leading everybody around him in such a way that they all gave their best and the best came out of them. And I think this, this really did surprise me because I hadn't seen him like that at all uh, to begin with until I you know, got into, into writing and searching the book. But, but there was always this capacity on this determination to and he likes because he likes being in things for a long time mm -hmm. so he you know with Hamlet and with um, Romeo got bad reviews and then but 
somehow by the end everybody was saying, oh yes, he's pulled it off, you know. But this was like a year later or even more, you know. And that was quite quite surprising. Yeah, yeah, that speaks back to the um, the family thing and the bond he he had with his other. And it's uh, also back to the family thing. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and also his. I mean, he's very modest, and you know, you'll mm-hmm. join in, make cups of tea, or all that stuff. I mean, in a sense, you can. That's not so amazing, but it. Um, no, it's great though. It, I love hearing it's that. Very, it's very, it's very happy. It makes everybody very happy. Yeah. Um, I just want to touch on his activism real quick because he's been just a tireless activist for the LGBTQ uh, community. What does it mean to him to be uh, this voice? Um, and I, you know, we did touch on it a little bit, and it is very courageous what he's done. Well, I think it means an enormous, it has meant an enormous amount to him. And, yeah. um, you know, it had its pitfalls and its dangers, and somehow I think he... he Weathered all that, he maneuvered that. He steered a very good path all the way through it. As I tried to chronicle the way he dealt with it, sometimes he went a little bit too far, perhaps. And mm-hmm. um, one point he was tearing up the Bible in front of an audience yeah, in, yeah. in <laughs> Leviticus in, in um, Edinburgh yeah. and causing outrage. But he, he's not pretend, he's not primarily someone who likes to shock and outrage as some of some other um, you know activists were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he kind of, and he also accepted knighthood, which was quite, um, you know, a lot of Derek Jarman, for instance, filmmaker, was very much against that. You know, he hand it back, and so he he steered a very sort of commendable path, which has kind of endeared him as not being an extremist. You know, because the English, we English, don't like extremism, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. he's not, he's never gone too far, and he's remained. And also, in the end, he's not sort of, you know, he ne- he knows somewhere that he accepts that he is an actor, and you know, actors, you know, well, as Ralph Richardson says, are the jockeys of literature. Other 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 people provide the horses, and they make them run. And mm-hmm. he he accepts that, that ultimately, I think, that this is this is what he is, an actor. But you know, an enfant du parody is the great film shows, and Tony yeah. Barrow. Um, so yeah. What um yeah, what a wonderful life he has um lived and is living and um and and you uh you telling this story is it was uh, it's equally impressive. It was what a wonderful book. Congratulations on it and uh I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to well, just, that's all. my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm really pleased to Especially spread the word about it. So thank you again. This podcast is in the loop, the legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.